three men who love to talk about triathlon. The strangest man in triathlon, Steve Lizard McKenna. The angry gnome, Tim Reed, and host, Cole Danny. This is Triathlon Therapy. We welcome Sam Appleton on the podcast today. Sam has won more than a dozen 70.3 events, including Ironman 70.3 Geelong, where in 2022 he broke the course record and shortly after became a dad. In particular, Sam has one of the most lethal swim bike legs in the sport of triathlon. Yeah, Apo, it's awesome to have you on, mate. Uh, obviously known you a long time, great friend, and have coached you early on in your pro career and, and back coaching you now. Welcome. How's uh, how's life as a dad? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, it's really fun, actually. Um, Toby's getting to that age now where he's starting to develop his personality. And yeah, it's just it's just really fun. He's starting to interact with things a little bit more and, um, you know, respond to actions and things things like that. You know, the first first few months is kind of just a blob that, uh, you know, eats, sleeps and shits. But uh, yeah, now he's getting now he's. Um, now he's getting really fun and yeah, we're able to play and have a little bit more interaction with him. So um, yeah, it's awesome. I'm loving it. He's seven months old now. So uh, yeah. Did you, have you got to that point yet? I remember, you know, everyone warns you about the first six weeks, like, oh, the first six weeks of hell and this is going to be, you know, disrupt your sleep and everything. And then uh, I was ready for that and I could handle it because everyone had warned me. But I got to like seven months and that was when I was like, oh, shit, this is this is permanent. <laughs> Have you hit that point? <laughs> I think um, pretty fo- we're pretty fortunate. Toby sleeps pretty well. Um, like we prepared ourselves. Um, yeah, for those endless, endless nights of no sleep. And um, I do have to give a shout out to Sarah. She did take on the lion's share of the work because I was training for Kona at the time. So maybe for me it wasn't so bad, but uh, for her it might have been mean, a different story. Me did take on the lion's share, as if she's not still doing the lion's share. <laughs> <laughs> hey, she works uh, two and a half days a week, where I take on uh, I take on dad duty. Oh, so. nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've been pretty lucky. He sleeps pretty well, so it hasn't impacted my sleep too much. He usually wakes up maybe once a night. Um, a couple of nights a week, he even sleeps through the night. So we've been pretty fortunate that he's been a good sleeper um I think the most challenging thing for me though is the you know after you go out and do a kind of a big session you come home and Sarah's obviously been with him for a few hours and then you come in and you kind of want you want to make you make your meal and uh sit down and kind of relax after the session but that's kind of all gone now it's um you know as soon as you come in the door you kind of expected to pick up the slack a little bit so um I think that's been the most challenging thing for me but um yeah, I mean, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I'm loving being a dad and, yeah, I'm really, really enjoying it. First of all, we're just going to um, summarise what's been happening in the world of racing. There's been some big races on. Uh, so... Let's dive straight into it with Ironman New Zealand, the first one, first sort of big race of the year. I could have that wrong, but seems like first one that really popped up on my radar. Mike Phillips in on the men's side, how good is it to see him win? He's just that classic New Zealand athlete who's just quietly goes about his work, no real massive ego, just a hard-ass worker and just gets it done. Yeah, I mean, 
I feel like Mike, he doesn't race too much out of kind of Oceana. So a lot of people might not know him, but for us Aussies and Kiwis that race him, we know he's a, you know, he's a bloody fierce competitor and he's uh, definitely, definitely a talent. And yeah, it wasn't really surprising to me to see him kind of bike and run away with it. Um, he's yeah, such a good competitor. Um, but yeah, it doesn't really race too much like in the US or I think he did Kona maybe once or twice, but kind of didn't have his results there. But um, yeah, he's just one of those athletes that kind of just stays at home and does his things. But whenever he's on the start line, I know I'm always looking at Mike as a guy to beat for sure. I mean, looking uh, looking down the list too, Braden always up there now, just such a consistent Ironman performer. Um, I didn't follow closely enough to know whether he did his usual crazy pacing on the run. Did you? Well, did, yeah, I followed know. a little bit. Um, I think Mike had a couple of minutes off the bike. Braden brought it down and actually took the lead about halfway through the run. Um, but then I think just following up on Braden's kind of Instagram and stuff, he, I think he got cramps with 10 or 15K to go, um, which kind of uh, surrendered the lead back to Mike. And, you know, Mike just solid all day. I think he ran a 247, which is pretty impressive after a 415 bike, especially on that course. Like, you've done New Zealand. Yeah, it's. It's a far, that's a fast time. It's the slow, slow roads, um, depend on the wind there can really change how fast it is, but also, and I think Sebi Kinley, who was in fourth, really found this out. You go and race the news, the Kiwis when they're just, they're in their only couple of months of summer and they are just so hard to beat over there at that time of year. Um, I always say the the Kiwis, you don't want to race them in March, like, yeah. You can go and race them in October and you've got a really good chance. Maybe not Braden because he's pretty bloody good in Kona. But, <laughs> you know, a lot of the other guys, I feel like they're, they're in such peak fitness that by October they're sort of burnt out a little bit. But, um, mate, yeah, turning up in New Zealand was pretty pretty ballsy for Sebastian with all the travel he's doing. Plus, I know he was ill before Challenge Wanaka. Um, mm. So still a solid race for him. The thing I love about Sebi with his fourth place was he just doesn't give up. He's not one of those guys that um, when he's having a bad day, he's like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll just throw in the towel. Similar to Crowey and other great champions, he just gets it done. At the same time, I remember racing him in Oceanside when he got a puncher. You know, instead of pulling out, he was 15 minutes behind the race and he still finished off and, and ran as yeah. hard as he could. So, um, yeah, it's a full credit, full credit to Sebi and I think that's the mark of a, you know, a true champion, humble in victory and defeat and not give, not pulling out having respect for your competition when you're feeling off, um, you know, it's easy to, easy to pull out, but uh, when you're having a bad day, but yeah, I think it shows his class as an athlete. I won't say the name of the athlete, but there's one really good pro who did a few 70.3s and won them, did a lot of 70.3s, not a lot, but there was quite a few that he did when, whenever it wasn't working out, he pulled out and then went on to claim that he had an undefeated record in 70.3s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know who you're talking about. You pull out, pull out. That's a defeat, buddy. This um, this person. Uh, yeah. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Darn. Um, Jan Van Berkel, coached by Dan Plews, Mister Consistent too, with some with obviously coming through on the run there for a third place. So good mention him. It was cool to see Matt Kerr now racing as a pro. Yeah. Um, he's made the transition pretty well to to be fifth overall. Um. And yeah, which always a bigger step up than I think people realise. Like you have the um the you know the really top echelon amateurs come through, and I think they get a pretty rude 
shock to the dynamics of the race. Um, so, yeah, pretty impressive by Matt. <clears throat> the other guy we, that we can't not mention, Cam Brown, um, seventh place. What is he? He must be, what, 50 now years old? I think, yeah, I think he's over 50. Yeah. And like, and he's called it a day on a career, and uh, he's one of the key guys for me. My first ever triathlon and Ironman, coincidentally. Um, I remember he was starting; he was running to the finish as I was like heading out on my, you know, maybe ten k into the run, and I was just like, "This guy, what an animal!" Like, I was really very inspired. And that was in two thousand and four. Um, just <laughs> such a long, incredible career. But what a legend. Full credit, Cam, mate. You're such a nice, just a, almost a bit like Mike Phillips, just a quiet, hard-ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Righto, the women's race in Taupo in New Zealand. Um, I don't know a lot about the lady that won, Els, Els Visa. Um, I know she got second at Wanaka. Um, do you know more about her results, Denny, of late? Of late, yes. She's had a – she's gone on quite a good run. So she – Obviously won this event. She came second at Challenge Wanaka Half back in February. She came second at Ironman Western Australia in December last year. And just before that, in October 2022, won the Ibiza Half Triathlon. So on a bit of a tear in those races. Yeah, so obviously getting to a very high level, um, real threat at every race. And she seemed to really just dominate the bike ride. It actually looked quite entertaining because... Uh, at the front end because she was almost six minutes behind Hannah out of the water, but then put all that back into her on the bike and then outran her by about two minutes. So pretty entertaining up at the front end of the race. Yeah, it would have been a good one. It was I didn't follow it live, but um would have been good to watch live or be at the event. Hannah Berry in second, super consistent. Um, obviously, it would have been loved. I'm sure she would have loved to have taken the win, but still a solid result for her and then Rebecca Clark in third Rebecca keeps getting better and better I think um we're seeing you know the current crop of Kiwi ladies are just getting are sort of getting stronger and stronger and starting to really put their names out there internationally too when they when they line up against uh the strong strong fields from all over it's cool to see Meredith Kessler back racing in fourth place um two kids now I think I'm not sure one or two but uh Always, always strong. <laughs> I've got in sixth place, L Armstrong, Lance Armstrong. He's made a <laughs> gender transition, found a way to get compete, to compete. Good on you. Um, but no, it's, yeah, it looked like, looked like overall the, the bike just shows how tough the bike over there is because the run times, even for both the men and women, it's just, it is probably a little bit slower than what you'd expect, but if you've ever done that race, you just know how draining the ride is, and I think it's a, it's a fair race and the strongest. you just got to run strong, not fast. It's, it's those rural roads. I think, you know, Australia and New Zealand are full of them, like just that chip seal, and I think a lot of people that are used to, you know, the hot mix, like I ride in Boulder and it's all hot mix. You know, you go out for an easy ride and you average 36K an hour. If I went and did that in Australia, you know, Byron Bay, Really, it's 26k an hour for an easy ride. (laughs) (laughs) If that, if that. Someone gives you a 200k ride, you're literally taking three meals with you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on to Ironman South Africa. Um, The swim was shortened there. Uh, Do you you guys know why? 
Was that sharks or was it weather conditions, water conditions? Apparently it was weather. Um, I did see some footage of the, the, the ocean and it looked pretty tame. Um, <laughs> but I think that's like four years in a row that the swim has been shortened at Ironman South Africa. I mean, that race, like, I mean, I'm never going to go there because as a strong swimmer and, you know, I don't want to swim for 10 minutes. Um, yeah. I just think that race needs to change locations. Like it can't keep continuing as it is, I don't think, um, in its current why, format. Why do they bother with even a 10-minute swim? I think it's just to break it up onto the bike, mate, because if you had everyone starting at once, it's uh, it's total chaos and, it, and a massive draft fest. I, I think probably better than that would be to have a portion of the run before because even with a short swim like that, you're still going to have just – pelotons of people um so i'd say that's the main reason uh i thought i just assumed it was shark related because someone sent me a photo of the water and it didn't look that rough so i was a bit confused all right for the women in south africa laura philip took the win quite a big margin you know nearly 10 11 minutes ahead of second and third place so a dominating performance. She's really a just top tier, world class at this at this point. Um, I don't know Fenella Langridge, um, and then Penny Slater third. All right, and on the men's side, Leon Chevalier. We got Bradley Weiss in in second. Both you and I have spent a fair bit of time with Brad, and then Matthias Lingso Peterson in third. Um, did, did it end up a bit of a group on the bike, Apo, that you know of, or how did the, how did the race play out? Yeah, I think it was a bit of a group. I think Cam Worth was there. I think he was there. I think he got fifth overall. I think Cam might have put in a little bit of time on the bike, but then um, I think he struggled a little bit on the run. He just came from the UAE tour, so he probably hasn't been doing much running. Um, but, yeah, I think it was a bit of a group with Brad and um, a few other guys, Leon. Um, and then yeah, Leon took it, took a, took the win. Uh, I mean, he's super strong. I think he was sixth at St George Ironman, seventy point uh, Ironman World Champs, and then um, he was top ten in Kona as well. So he's uh, he's definitely on the up on on the upswing, and I think he's yeah, he's he's a super strong athlete. And then Brad in second, um, you know, good friend of mine, Brad. Um, good to see him. The, the win still eludes him, though. I think he's been second a couple of times there. Um, and then, yeah, I'm not sure of Peterson in, in third. I, I'm not sure about him, but I think he ran through the field. I think he had a quick quick run and ran through the field. Is that right, Danny? Yeah, it looked like he had the fastest run of the, the top guys uh, by over, over a minute on Leon. Now, a race that we can probably talk about in a lot more detail, Clash Miami. It's literally but- been won and dumped today, Apo. Um, first of all, just for you personally, you know, you had a obviously the, a, a little bit of a bad patch at the end of last year. Unfortunately, you tested positive for COVID the day after a PTO race. And we were both a bit shocked at the performance. We we're like, what's going on? And then it was pretty clear that you had COVID during the race, um, probably infected the whole field while you're there. Um, <laughs> um, and then... And then, you know, we were sort of in panic mode trying to get you ready for Kona. But, like, the the hardest thing, I think with COVID, it's sort of easy to – not easy, but you can sort of tell when people are uh, still affected by it because the HRV scores, resting heart rate, 
can be way off. And for you, it was probably the worst of all the athletes I've coached. It was weeks and weeks where your resting heart rate was like 20 to 30 beats higher than normal. So it was yeah. really having a big effect. And then that left us very little time to do a Kona prep. Um, so coming in, you know, and we knew doing Kona that it was just going to, that things weren't where we wanted. Um, but personally, we decided, well, we both decided it'd be worth going ahead just to learn how the race plays out and put that in the bank so you've got more experience for next time. Um, so talk to me about what you what what you wanted out of Clash Miami, um, what the main goals are for this year, and, and then even if we can go back and, and discuss a little bit about how that race played out, and that would be, yeah, fill us in. Great. Lot, a lot to unpack there. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe we'll start back at kind of the COVID. I think, yeah, like you said, it really kind of hit me pretty hard. I think my resting heart rate, for a week there was like 85 to 90, um, you know, which is usually in the forties, my resting heart rate, sometimes in the thirties as well. Um, so that was pretty significant. And I think I gave myself about two weeks and then we're like, shit, it's eight weeks to Kona. I need to kind of get my ass in the gear. And we, we did, we kind of crammed, but obviously I wasn't healthy enough to kind of meet the demands of training. So there was a lot of, a lot of red in training peaks as you can probably, uh, probably vouch for um but yeah we decided to do kona like you said for the uh experience and i don't regret doing it at all i think it was a great experience and i've definitely learned a lot about the demands of that race and i'm excited to kind of give it another crack uh next year um but yeah i mean i think after kona i took a few months just trying to get healthy and then slowly build back in for uh for the 2023 season and then we kind of put clash miami on the on the schedule is kind of just, you know, something to kind of kickstart the season a little bit. We haven't done too much specific training for Clash Miami. Um, I want to do Ironman Australia, which is coming up in about two months. So kind of the focus has been on that and the training has kind of built and geared towards um, Ironman Australia in, in the beginning of May. So, yeah, but we wanted to use Clash Miami as kind of a launching pad into the, into the season. And it was kind of a low stakes race. and. Uh, I'm actually, you know, I, I was seventh today, which might not sound great on paper, but to be honest, actually, I think the performance was pretty good. Um, I mean, it's not, it wasn't an amazing performance, but my numbers are pretty good and it shows that we're kind of on the right track and we can kind of use this now to kind of uh, fine tune and things and, um, and keep kind of building into the, into the rest of the season. Um, for me, this was kind of like a, a B or a C tier race, so it wasn't, I wasn't putting too much stock into it and just kind of using it as, yeah, as I said, kind of to kickstart the season. Um, so yeah, I'm reasonably happy with it. It might not look the best to the people bringing up the results, but um, sensations wise, numbers wise, um, I think everything's tracking in a pretty good direction. I mean, when you look at the fact you're really two minutes off, you know, back a guard, Sam Long, these guys are, I think, you know, at the moment, consistently top five in the world. So to be where you're at now after a very big off-season to really get healthy again, uh, I think it's great to see you back on track. Um, talk to me about how the race panned out. I mean, it's obviously a fast, flat course. Did it did it split up much in the swim? Was there groups on the bike? Um, yeah. I think the swim, I think there was a group of maybe 
10 of us out of the water together. Um, I was kind of, I had a terrible swim. I was kind of the dangleberry in the last position of that front group. Um, but yeah, we got out onto the bike and the ride is, it's kind of, it's really windy and it's really short laps and quite technical. So there's no real um, opportunity for groups to establish. So the ride was actually really fair and it was kind of everyone, there was no real groups to speak of. I think it was all kind of, everyone was kind of riding their own race. Like we were all pretty contained. Um, Tom Bishop had a great ride. He was riding off the front. Um, but I think there was like five or six of us kind of all hovering within that kind of two to three minutes behind him, but all kind of in our own space. We weren't all in one group. So um, it was pretty hot, pretty windy. Um, so there was no real chances for drafting or anything like that. So it was a pretty fair race. Um, and then, yeah, under the run, I mean, Jason West just had an amazing run, like 51 minutes for that. Uh, I mean, if you look back at the previous years in this race, like I think Jan Fredino won it in a, um, he ran 53 high. So Jason's run two minutes into Jan over 16 K. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, um, and then, yeah, kind of everyone else was kind of running that 54 to 55 minutes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a pretty good race. I'm glad I, I'm glad I came out and did it. And um, yeah, I'm uh, leaving more encouraged than perhaps I was um, at some stages of, uh, of last year, especially after Kona. So, yeah, good, mate. Did, did, um, so did Jason get off with the front of the bike or did he run through? He, he ran through. So Jason got off just behind me. Uh, he passed me about a K into the run maybe. Um, and I felt like I was running pretty well and he was literally out of sight within a couple of minutes. <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. couldn't believe it. And, um, yeah, that was a little bit disheartening for me because I'm like, maybe I'm not running as good as I think. Um, <laughs> but then, uh, cause it was seven laps, there was a timing board and it showed the kind of the top group of guys. And every time we went around, I just saw that gap getting um, smaller and smaller to the leaders. And yeah, Jason just ran through with it. I mean, not many yeah. people are running. I don't think anyone's running quicker than Jason, especially, you know, 51 minutes for that. I know I've said it, but it's amazing. Yeah. And what's cool is the fact that you said it was a really fair ride out there too. Cause I think there was a time there where it sort of Jason did rely a little bit on needing a group to mm. set up his race, but he was putting in the work and it seems to be really paying off now that he can actually, he can sort of set himself up on the bike himself. Um, so He's a, yeah, I think it's the only thing I wonder, like he does the big training weeks. I wonder sometimes I think um, you see him going to a little bit of a, a form slump, but I hope that he times it really well for a world champs race because um, he, he has these world-class performances and then he hasn't quite put it together at a world championships yet, mm -hmm. which tells me he's probably just trying to hold form too much for too many races um, throughout the year. Of course, just a um, an unwarranted opinion from me, <laughs> but I do feel like he's he's that level that he can win like a world championship. But he's got a he probably needs to not be in peak form all, all the year round, and needs to mix up his training a bit more so that there's, there's periods of the year where he's not super super fit. But um, hanging out with him after St George 2021, you know, I'd pulled out early with my annoying SVT issues. And he'd had a shocker, but 
his mindset, you know, whereas I was like, I'm just going to drink some beers and move on, you could tell it just really ate him up, you know, and and I was Mm -hmm. like, I remember being that hungry. I remember just not being able to sleep after bad races and I was like, this guy's going to get really good because he's – it, it hurts him to have a bad race and, and he's so committed. So um, good on you, Jason, if you're listening. I think you've got um, there's some championship wins ahead um, for sure. Big kudos as well to Thomas Bishop, who does really well, seems to do really well at these kind of courses, who uh, Jason only got him by 30 seconds in the end. So it would have been good to watch live. Was there live coverage for this one, Apo? No, no, unfortunately not. There has been every other year, but not this year, unfortunately. But they're going to do like a media package, I think, and put it out to, I don't know, put it on YouTube or maybe NBC or something like that here in the States. But I don't know about you guys, but after sports happened, I don't really care for watching a replay. Like if I don't watch something live, then it's... yeah. Uh, well- um, now that we're doing this podcast, I have to start watching races again. I sort of switched off for a little while just because it was like hard, hard to watch, not being able to be out there. Um, yeah, but I think yeah. I've moved past that now and I'm just excited to, to follow. Apo, talk to me about the women's race. Did you get to get to see that while you're racing or you're too busy focusing on just getting oxygen in? <laughs> well, uh, well, the women actually went off um, before we did. They went off at 8.30 this morning. We went off at midday. Um, so I didn't, I didn't watch it cause I was just here in my hotel. Um, but yeah, it was a, um, it was a pretty interesting race on the women's side. We had, um, Lucy Byram from the UK in first, um, and Sif Madsen in second. She actually rode, uh, those two actually destroyed the field on the bike. They kind of closed the door on all the other competitors. Um, and then obviously Lucy had the better run and then, um, Pamela Oliveira, um, had a really good run to close and uh, she overtook a couple of people and um, and closed out the podium in third. So I didn't watch it live. Um, yeah, because I was here kind of resting up for my race, but um, I did follow it a little bit on the tracker and it looked to be an interesting race. Super tight racing, you know, like between first and fourth you really there really wasn't too much in it uh especially mm-hmm. first and third interesting that the four top four all would have had to travel to the race so america what are you doing <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean yeah i was i was surprised at kind of the level of competition that kind of came out to this race it's good to see um europeans and things coming out and uh yeah, supporting these clash events because it was a really fun event. They looked after the pros really well. Um, it was well organised. Um, yeah, I had a good experience here and I could definitely see myself coming back. So, Apo, tell us what's the main target for this year? What's your major goal? Yeah, I think um, I'd love to get an, um, that Ironman World Champ slot um, in Nice uh, in September. So, But I'm trying not to think about that too much. I'm Obviously, like you said, using I'm in Port Macquarie, I'm in Australia as my kind of key goal for this first half of the year. And I'm going to build in and uh, hopefully put a good performance there. And then after that race, I think we can kind of make some more decisions. I would love to be there in Nice and uh, give the Ironman World Champs another run. Um, but I'm also not going to chase Ironmans desperate to qualify. Like if uh, I'll probably do Port Macquarie and see how it goes. If it goes well, great. I'll probably lock in and do Nice. but if for whatever reason it doesn't go to plan, I might switch back to kind of the middle distance and um, go race 70.3 Worlds in Finland. Um, 
yeah, I mean, it's kind of a little bit open for me, but um, for the next at least two months, it's all kind of eyes on I'm in Australia. Talk to me about this radical new bike that you're on. Um, Giant have come out with a super bike. Um, people laughed. And then, of course, um, there was some <laughs> – then the Ironman World Championships was won on it and people stopped laughing. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so it's the um, – it's a Kdex tri bike and, uh, yeah, I definitely got some comments at the race, um, some good, some bad. But um, I actually was really stoked with it. I think it rides really well. I got it probably two and a half weeks ago. So it's still pretty fresh. Um, first race on it, obviously, but it felt good, man. Um, I was really kind of surprised, not surprised, like obviously it's going to feel good, but yeah, really happy with how it rides, how it feels. Um, yeah, I was able to kind of get in pretty close to my old position, which I was really, really happy with on my old giant Trinity. Uh, so we just kind of try and move that over to our um, to the new Kdex bike. And we've gone a little bit higher with the hands and it feels really nice. Um, yeah, I'm stoked with it. You're probably getting to that age, Apo, where every year we've got to come one centimetre higher as the flexibility <laughs> starts to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's it, mate. Yeah, soon. Yeah, every night, you, uh, every morning you wake up with uh, it's something else that I've injured in my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> First fan question, is it easier these days for an age grouper to get a pro license? And if so, should it be made harder? I have a strong opinion on this, Apo. Do you want to go first or should I? I'll, I'll kick it off. Okay. <laughs> it's because you look like you're thinking too hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I get quite annoyed when pros complain about pros getting a license too, too easily. I personally think the deeper you can make the fields, the better. If people want to make that transition to pro and if they're not quite ready and are happy getting their ass kicked, good on them. Like for some athletes, that's the best way for them to develop more rapidly. Um, I think that there are definitely times where it doesn't make sense for an age grouper to turn pro because they've already got some, some level of sponsorship, whether it's local bike shop, whether it's some brands, whether it's, and if they go from winning their age group and getting nice exposure for that brand to then racing pro and getting their ass kicked, they could lose all that. So then that's a bit of a different situation. Oh, maybe you should wait. You know, you've got some pretty good things going. But for some athletes, I think it's, uh, you know, there's, it, it can be very advantageous to just jump in the deep end. Bur Tim Burkle and myself would be a classic example. Burkle, you know, I think he only had second in his age group and he turned pro. Um, but it, it helped him. Like he just raised, he rose to the occasion, uh, lifted his training, you know, whereas I was, I went the other way and raced age group to, you know, ride up until I was sure I could make money as a pro sort of thing. So there's no hundred percent way to do it, but I'm certainly not complaining if people want to take a pro license. And even if it's easy for people to get a pro license, that doesn't bother me in the slightest. There's, there's <laughs> some athletes that, um, that we've seen that, it depends on the wave starts. So, like, one of our coaches at Triadelaide raced Kona last year, and he was in, I think, 25 to 29 age group, which is, you know, as, almost as strong as it gets. 
and I think he was the last wave to go. And so he said it, the swim particularly was just carnage because he is quite a strong swimmer. So it gets them out of the the bit of the muck, so to speak, as well. I would have thought. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I wouldn't say that it's it. It might be easy for established pros like the the guidelines to turn pro, but you got to realize that you know that's not easy for everyone. And if people want to race pro, then I think you know, like you said, Tim, all credit to them, all power to them, and. Uh, you know, they'll quickly learn if it's not for them. And if it's not, that's fine. And if they'll see the level and some people will kind of be like, all right, this is the level and this is where I need to get to. And yeah, I mean, I think like the more people in, in the fields, I think the better. Um, yeah. I don't want to gatekeep a pro license. So uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's good. I would suggest that potentially having an open category in every race where it's, uh, age groupers that want to race for the overall age group win actually start together. Even if it's just 30 people, 40 people, they go off in one wave together. They can actually race each other. I know a lot of the age groupers that are under RPG uh, get very frustrated who love to compete when they don't know where they are in the race. They have no, because someone could, could have started 10 minutes behind them in their age group with the, with the waves, um, not wave starts, what do you got? the rolling starts. It's uh, it's infuriating for them because they're there to compete. They want to, they can get another 20, 30 seconds out of themselves if they know someone's just up the road. Uh, so I would like to see perhaps an open category. So there's an there's an there's an inter, intermediate space between age group and pro where people can race open, and then potentially that's how they then get their pro license if, if they're winning that or podium in that open category, or even if it's top five in that open category. I think that would be a nice. Mm-hmm. Nice intermediate point where age, the elite age groupers can race each other, but also a stepping stone to racing pro. Yeah, I think that's a good idea because I know um, some Australian races had open categories. Like I think Husky used to just be open. Like it didn't have a pro field. Like it just had an open. And if you wanted to race in open, I think you could. Yeah. Um, yeah. Victor Harbour tomorrow um, is a 100K event. And yeah, that's exactly how, how it is. So Steve is a pro, but I could go on the open category as well. One of our athletes who, he, he doesn't mind me saying this, he's far from a pro, accidentally um, signed up to the open category. So he'll be lining up against Steve tomorrow in the swim, which we thought was pretty <laughs> funny. So. so when you say it's a 100K event, you're talking about the distance, not the prize money. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I hope so, otherwise I'd be getting a flight down. Yeah, yeah. what's below a bronze event? How it actually works in Australia is if the prize money is under 10000 they don't actually have a pro field. It's just open, so anyone can enter, um, which is which is nice because that's a good way for people that are considering going pro um, to then, you know, dip their toe and race a few pros and see whether they're even in the ballpark or not. So it's sort of there. That that idea of that open category is sort of there. I'd just like to see it even in, um, even in the, the pro races, I think it. That would be a nice stepping stone for people. How do you pick the right coach for you, whether you're a seasoned pro looking to go pro or a competitive age grouper? Well, that's a long answer. I think it's um, it, it's very individual um, depending on what the athlete responds to. Some athletes are very data-driven. Some need their sort of a lot of emotional support. Um and you know encouragement 
and lots of conversations. Others, others prefer just like you know some real hard ass dictatorship style coaching. I, I, it's a really, yeah. There's no, there's no real short answer for that. It's just so individual, um, and certainly from what I've seen, I know with myself. There's no perfect coach. Every coach I worked with had some really great aspects about them. And then there are some other things that, you know, that were not great. Um, and you've got to just realise that with going into any relationship with a coach, you're not going to find the perfect coach just the same way that there's no perfect athlete. Uh, so, but knowing if those weaknesses are going to be something that really doesn't cut it for you, then they're probably not the right coach for you. But if, if you know that you can allow for that's not their strong point, but their strong points are, will really work for me, then um, then that's probably the correct coach to go with. Uh, Apo, your thoughts? Oh, I think you summed it up pretty well. I think um, getting on with the uh, person you're working with as well, building rapport and things like that. I'm, I mean, you'll, you'll know pretty quickly if you've signed up and you're not feeling the vibe. I think it's pretty pretty obvious early on if it's not going to work out um so yeah i think you got to trust your instincts a little bit and um don't be afraid to kind of go out and search for what you need and what you require out of an out of a coach um yeah exactly that point Apo. i reckon before you sign on with a coach don't waste everyone's time if it's not the right if if, if you haven't done your research and you're jumping into something that's a bad move. You know, talk to the athletes that are under that coach, really find out how that coach works. Um, talk to a few different coaches. There's no magic pill or quick fix with, with your racing. So a lot of people, I think, jump in with a new coach and think that it's something magic's going to happen. It takes time and you need to be able to commit to that coach sometimes for, you know, six to 12, 18 months. I mean, when we first started years, years ago, Apo, it took me a while to realise just how fragile you are (laughs) a delicate snowflake (laughs) you know what what worked for me and what worked for other athletes was just was just too much load for you you know the optimal load is the load that makes someone better um you know which is why i find it amazing when all these people think oh the norwegians are doing 30 hours therefore i should do 30 hours i'm like no you should train as much as you are responding to basically and if that's 30 great if that's 18, that's also great. So uh, I think, but it took us time to work that out. You know, it took a few mistakes, some bad races, okay, changing things around, dialing it back, realising that you need some good, a, a good few days, five, six, seven days off after a race, all these sort of patterns. <laughs> but it took us time to work that out. And I think if you're going to jump in with a coach and expect things to be magically um, to have magic improvement in two to three months, then you're sort of um, deluding yourself. I think what you're really trying to say, Reedy, is go with RPG or try Adelaide. <laughs> <laughs> Short answer. We've got a few coaches under RPG, so there's there's some different styles for everyone. In fact, um, Apo's even decided he's happy to take on a couple of uh, a couple of athletes, which is really exciting under RPG. So we've um, yeah, I think uh, the, part of the reason, and you can speak for this, Apo, is sometimes over-racing as a pro can be a real problem. So it's nice to just, first of all, sometimes just give back to a few other people, but then to not have to race financially 
over race allows you to just focus on the championship races and having a few athletes just can um, allow you to do something that you enjoy, but also not have to chase extra races in the season. Yeah, for sure. I mean, triathlon is a, you know, it's been my life. Um, I've, I've done triathlon now for 20 years and as a professional for 10 years. And I feel like I've got a lot to give back to the sport. And I think I've got a lot of um, kind of knowledge and a lot of information that, I'd like to kind of part and um, yeah, spread, spread the love, so to speak. And uh, <laughs> I'm excited to kind of branch out and under the uh, RPG crew start um, building up a few clients, but yeah, like you said, now with the focus for me moving a little bit to Ironman, I can't race as much, you know, I could do, I could do seven, eight, nine, 70.3 is at a pretty high level throughout the year. But when you move to Ironman and I think you can vouch for this as well, Reedy, it's you got to be a lot more kind of strategic about your racing and your and your planning, and you're not racing as much, so you're probably not bringing in as much money through um, you know bonuses and prize money and things like that. So yeah, there's kind of a financial aspect as well. Um, but yeah, the main driving force for me is that I'm just passionate about the sport and I want to give back, and I feel like I've got a lot of knowledge to uh, to give out. Yeah, and I think a lot of people say, oh, wouldn't that be take away from your racing? And I think some a bit like um, in some ways we're similar in that we, we sort of would get quite anxious about races and quite um, you sort of get, get stuck in your own little bubble. And for me, I always coached, even when I didn't need to financially because racing was going really well, I always enjoyed having a few athletes because it sort of allowed me to actually – um, think outside my own bubble and realize, you know, other people have stuff going on too. Um, mm. And it, it, it just broke up that, that thought process of constantly thinking about, about myself. Um, so it was a nice, obviously there's a, a point where I think once you get beyond a few athletes, yes, it will start to take away from your own racing. But I, I don't believe like a, a few athletes is a bad thing for people to, to sort of break up the week and, and give back and start to, um, start to also, you know, just contribute to um, for, for something that's provided you and I with, with so much. It's nice to give back a little bit, so. I'll go straight to you, Sam, for this one. And it comes from an age grouper's perspective, but some of the top tips for improving swim speed. Oof. I think I've always been a fan of, and I know it's it, – a little bit easier for me as a professional. I always think repetition and consistency has always been my kind of best advice. Um, I would much prefer to go to the pool, and I know this is a luxury as a pro, six days a week and do 3K rather than three 6K swims a week. I think swimming is so technique-based. It relies a lot on the feel of the water. I have two days off swimming and I go back to the pool and I feel like, you know, I feel like I've got noodle arms. So I think consistency, I like to swim pretty much every day. Um, but yeah, I know that is a little bit of a luxury and not kind of available perhaps to full-time working triathletes. Um, but yeah, if there's one thing I could say, I think shorter and more repetition is better um, in my opinion. I'll throw this one to to Reedy first, but certainly a question for both of you. Best sledge you've ever heard in triathlon? 
I don't have that the best sledge, but funnily enough, <laughs> Terenzo, um, you were there, Apo. I remember Terenzo got away at um, 70.3 Vine Man, or it might have been called <laughs> Santa Rosa at that point. <laughs> that was Vine Man. I remember it. And um, Apo and I got were on the run chasing him. And, With um, Potts, Andy Potts. It was Andy me, Potts. you and Andy Potts. And uh, Terenzo's just on the, on the lap as he's going past him. Just caught us a pack of like heaps of expletives, <laughs> like just dropping the sea bomb. Um, which you know, for Australians and New Zealanders, that's not really that big a thing, but our it's a compliment, it's a compliment. <laughs> but the um, our American um friends that we were staying with were right on that part of the course, and they thought that he was abusing them, <laughs> and they were they were mortified. And of course, you know, Apo and I just chirped back at Terenzo some other expletives back. <laughs> 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 so it was just this yelling match, and like neither of us really thought too much of it because it's just part of racing and um, getting in inside each other's head. And also, Australians and New Zealanders just swear at each other as just just to say hello. Um, <laughs> and then, and then we got home. Uh, we got back to the homestay, and they were like. They were still shaking in shock. <laughs> the C word in uh, in the US. I mean, I've been here for a long time now. Like, it's just not something that you can say in the US. <laughs> but you go to lunch with Tim Burkle, and uh, you know, all bets are off. <laughs> yeah, I remember we've had a few restaurant dinners. Uh, in the US with Burkle, and it's like, man, everyone in the restaurant's looking at us because oh, Burks yeah. is, is just talking normally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Reedy, we I think you probably touched a bit on this last week, but someone's written in. Apparently, guys like Matt Hansen never run slower than four minute per K pace in training. Is this normal for other pros? And does everyone have different distribution of easy slash aerobic training in zone one? I don't think that many people run in zone one. <laughs> um, I do, but that's just oh, I just because I'm normally running with clients or whatever, and it's pretty slow. But um, the the main reason you do zone one is for recovery purposes. And so to do a zone one, there's not much about running that really helps you recover. So if I give someone a zone one session, it's typically on the bike or go for a zone one swim because you're looking to just promote blood flow to healing muscles. You're not looking to create more training stress. So in terms of zone two running, I could see Matt Hansen is such a good runner. I'd be pretty sure that him at four minute Ks is actually probably still zone two. Um, that's not to say that he wouldn't warm up at five and a half minute K pace, six minute K pace. I'd be very surprised if he's heading out the door and, you know, strapping straight into four-minute K pace. Um, but I know when, you know, even when we tested Apo in Kona, four-minute K pace was not above zone two for him. You know, lactate is not the limiting factor for most people in the Ironman distance. They're so fit. Um, you know, and one of the biggest things we changed with Apo... Ah, sorry, hamstring cramp. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one of the biggest things we changed for Apo going into uh, Ironman Cairns, where I think we, you know, we took close to 14 minutes off his marathon time, was actually getting him running in zone two for a lot of his 
aerobic runs. I think he was way closer to zone one a lot of the time, which was mm-hmm. not necessarily a bad thing from an aerobic perspective, but it wasn't conditioning the muscles to the load that, you know, there's a very different uh, amount of load going through your legs when you're running 4.10 pace compared to running 5.10 pace. So, uh, yeah, I, I think people watching it, you know, hearing that, oh, uh, he doesn't do anything under four minute, uh, slower than four minute Ks, for most other people, that still might be the same intensity as five minute Ks. So, you know, using pace as a, as a metric between athletes is not a really, is not a very clever thing to do. I think one thing I've learned from being under you the last year or so, Tim, is zone two range can be enormous. Like low end of zone two to the upper end of zone two, it could be 45 seconds. Especially the fitter you get. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I always, I think, you know, zone two isn't as easy as people think it is. Like I think a lot of people think zone two is just like, Oh yeah, it's pretty easy. It's not recovery, but it's a little bit harder than recovery. But zone two can be still pretty solid, like a solid effort. High zone two session compared to a low zone two session, very different. Which is why when people say, "Oh, it should be eighty twenty or ninety ten distribution," I'm like, "Yeah, but what does that mean?" Because that there's so much range within that eighty percent, you know, that ninety percent. It's it's a lot more. There's a lot more to it than keeping it like that. Hey, Avo, thank you so much for coming on, mate. Um, no, it's been fun. Always a joy to chat. Um, less of a joy to see you on the screen, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> now nah, I'll be in touch and well done today. It was good to see that the numbers are back back where we want them um, and proud of you as a human just becoming a dad and handling it all well. So I'm sure this will be a huge year ahead. And thanks, Danny, for taking the time on a Saturday to get this done. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thanks, mate.